You're listening to DraftKings Network. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to another chapter in Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am your Sith Lord, Darth Amin. I'm joined as always by my apprentice, Darth Cornpuzzle. And this is a show where we review all things Star Wars. Whenever we have new Star Wars content, we put out new episodes. And so Ahsoka's over and we reviewed it to its completion. So I know what everyone's wondering is like, why do we have another episode? It's not because we're going year round. It's because we've assembled a trio of esteemed minds to speak about Ahsoka, where it ranks in the pantheon of live-action Star Wars television shows, and where their love of Star Wars actually came from. Our very own Shadow Council, I mean, yes. scattered throughout the galaxy like the Imperial Remnant. We've brought them together, unified them to give their takes, to give their thoughts and feelings, and think you're going to enjoy what you hear from our guests, but who do we have on this episode, I mean, We've got, he is the play-by-play voice for the WNBA, doing the WNBA Finals, and he also does a bunch of NBA games for ESPN and for the Brooklyn Nets. His name is Ryan Rucco, and he is a huge Star Wars fan. If you didn't know, he had a podcast with CeCe Sabathia called R2C2, because ah, they're both huge Star Wars fans. I get that. Good one. Our second guest is a very familiar one for people in South Florida. It's Jason Jackson. He's the voice of the Miami Heat. And, of course, he does a million other things, including host a radio show with me on Sirius XM NBA Radio on Sundays. But, again, he is a huge Star Wars fan, and I think you'll like hearing what his introduction to Star Wars was. Finally, we've got Metalog Media's own Pablo Torre, host of Pablo Torre Finds Out. And he's got a pretty interesting origin story as well. So we talked to all three of them. Some of the questions are going to be repeats. Some of them are different territory. And I kind of like that about all three conversations. Yeah, they all went a different direction. And I think we answered some questions, posed some questions, generally got a pretty excited response of this season. And we're excited to set off into the future and whatever it holds. Without further ado, let's go to our first guest. It's Ryan Rucco. And we're joined now by lead play-by-play caller for the WNBA Finals. He's reporting live from Las Vegas where he just did game one of the finals. It's our friend Ryan Rucco. Ryan, I don't know how many people know you're a huge Star Wars fan. We've had you on the pod before in the past, 
but really quickly give everyone a quick update on just your level of Star Wars fandom. Man, I am an obsessive Star Wars fan. So when you ask me to, to go on your podcast, or like, as much as I love talking to you about hoops, when it's something Star Wars, I jump at the chance. Just to, to have a platform to be able to talk Star Wars is so exciting for me. And to give people an idea of what a big Star Wars fan I am, most nights that I'm on the road, I fall asleep watching some Star Wars movie because that's comfort food to me. It's like, <laughs> you know, like some people use a sound machine. I use Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> that's my my comfort to be able to fall asleep. So, yeah, man, I mean, I'm obsessed with everything. I watch everything. I've loved every live action series uh, that Disney Plus has done. I know you've had varying levels of, of love. I have been basically at a seven or higher for each one. I love it, man. It just it always brings me joy. So on that note, let's get to the one that just concluded Ahsoka, eight part series. And before I get your, your final grade on it, I have a couple of questions that are basically questions that both Maze and I have asked ourselves during the entire production. I, I think let's start with the first one. Do you believe this is a one-off? Because I felt like from the beginning, they can't do this in one season. They have to have a second season, even if they haven't announced it. I don't know how on earth this could be a one-off, especially the way it ended. That would be, as much as I loved it, if that was how it ended, it would completely change my feelings towards it because it would be remarkably unsatisfying. And the only caveat I'll say is if they weren't going to do a second season, but they were going to somehow find a way to tie up the loose ends in, in the Filoni movie that's mm -hmm. you know going to bring all these you know live action series worlds together, then I guess I could be okay with that potentially. But really what I want is a second season at least, if not a third, and then also the movie. What about, you know, one of the things they've been criticized for, and I'm talking about the Disney Plus universe of Star Wars shows, is the idea that The Mandalorian season one, season two, everyone's feeling great. And then the story continues in Book of Boba Fett. And then season three picks up where Book of Boba Fett left off. Where So basically, if you were someone who said, hey, I just watched The Mandalorian, you're very confused by the start of season three. Things have happened. How would you feel if the, this story were continued, not in the movie, but in a different series? Well, that's an interesting question. I think I would personally ultimately be okay with it because I'm going to consume all that content. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just a quicker way to get some of the answers that I'm looking for. So I actually would be not only fine with it, I might welcome having some sort of continuation or bridge because the other part of it is a lot of times seasons jump right they don't mm -hmm. necessarily pick up just in the history of television right or movies right a lot of times there's an implication that things are have happened since we've gone away of course star wars has made a habit of then filling in those gaps you know afterwards right whether it's an animated series like clone wars or whatever it might be i am okay with maybe not the story concluding or even diving full in but if we get some details and and some sort of little payoffs in you know the next season of mando or whatever it might be i'm okay with that because this already feels immersive enough because of the precedent they've set with book of boba fett and honestly i know you know book of boba fett might have been the series that had the lowest q rating of any of the ones they've done 
I still fully loved it. And, and the Mando episodes, I, which obviously felt like a departure from Boba in a lot of ways, but I thought they were outstanding. Yeah, they were outstanding. They were yeah. the best parts of the show. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the hard-hitting question. Maze, do you want to ask it or should I? I think you got this, I mean. Oh, boy. The biggest point of conflict between Maze and I, Ahsoka meeting with Anakin in the world between worlds. Did it happen or was it just a dream? Mm. I was talking about this with my brother-in-law. Shout out to Josh. He is a huge Star Wars fan as well. And he also, he loves to wrap his mind around the multiverse and anything that plays with consciousness. And we both referenced, I'm a big Harry Potter fan as well. And we both referenced in Deathly Hallows Part 2, where Harry goes to King Cross Station mm-hmm. when it looks like Harry's been killed by Voldemort and he meets Dumbledore. And, and he says to Dumbledore, like, is this real or is it happening all inside my head? And Dumbledore says, of course it's happening all inside your head. But what makes you think that it's not real? That that means it's not real. Mm. And so, like, my idea is sort of like, did Ahsoka go there? Did that really happen? I think it did. But I also think that it could have simultaneously been some form of a dream, if that makes sense, where she's just sort of accessing a different portal of consciousness, if you will. And the same way that Dumbledore says to Harry Potter, like, you get to decide if you want to go on or not. I kind of feel like Ahsoka in that moment had that same test with Anakin. You're still there, you know, under the ocean or wherever she is in the water. And like, that could be it for your experience in, you know, in that realm and that body. But like, while you're there, like right now, your consciousness is tapped over here. And like, if you do some things, you're going to have the choice to go back there. And, and that is kind of my interpretation of it. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm sure you, you've gotten into a lot and like, I'm curious your thoughts of Anakin's role and did he become the father? You know, what is his, you know, his sort of power right now, uh, in this force, you know, world, like, is mm-hmm. he, is he just what we saw at the end of Ahsoka? Is he just a, a force ghost? And that was just all in her head. Or is he, is he kind of the commander of the, the world between worlds or has he become the father? And he knows how to use light and darkness for whatever purposes he has in that moment. I think it happens, but I also think that it was in her head, if that makes sense. The beautiful, beautiful middle ground. I mean, we found our very own father here to find the balance between our two opinions. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think the Harry Potter comparison is very apt. I think that's a little outside of a means realm of fantasy knowledge, yeah. but I think that is a, a pretty good one. That's a little bit more afterlife train station than I think this was. I hear what you're saying. Like Anakin is barking at Ahsoka, live or die, live or die. So in that sense, I guess if she had chosen death, maybe she doesn't come out of the ocean and maybe that's that. I hadn't really considered it from that perspective before, but what we really were stuck on, obviously it looks like the world between worlds. Yes. But the specifics of, did she go through a portal? Mm. Was she there? And then was that, a force ghost of Anakin or was that her projection of Anakin based on her experiences and stuff? And, you know, we didn't get a clear answer on that. And that's obviously intentional. Baloney has been, he's avoided 
<laughs> explanations of what the world between worlds is. So he's always been obscure like that. Yeah. And that's because it's a storytelling device, right? It's a way to frame your story in a way that doesn't have to observe traditional rules and regulations. So I get all that. Just to me, my reaction coming out of that episode was it felt like cheating. Mm. And while I, in hindsight, understand and get the journey from A to B that Ahsoka has to go on in that episode, and she emerges as Ahsoka the White and all of that, in the moment, I felt like, okay, we're we're bending rules here, and I would have liked a little bit more transparency about it. And I, I understand that. I actually appreciate your feelings about bending rules because the easy answer to that whenever someone has those feelings is, well, I mean, the whole thing is a bent rule, right? Like, what's the force? <laughs> we could always bend the rules. But I, I agree with you, Maze, in the sense of, yes, but when we are allowing ourselves to buy into this universe, we still need some sort of boundaries or rules because if we don't have that, then we lose our sense of purpose and everything kind of just feels like chaos, right? But for me, it didn't feel like that because it had been previously introduced to us. You know, when I actually, when I saw it for the first time with Ezra, mm -hmm. that for me was hard for me to grasp, especially because at that time, anything that had acted like a time machine, so to speak, I really had a difficult time with. And to go back to Harry Potter, for those who are playing along now on that, in episode three, when Hermione has the, you know, the turn clock. Time turner, yeah. Time turner, I'm like, I, I don't quite get how the, there aren't just like, but I actually think Marvel helped me better appreciate time travel, whether it was through Loki or, or whether it was through Endgame or, mm -hmm. you know, some of the different things we experienced where you kind of get this concept of, okay, like, yeah, you are having this experience where one thing happens after another, but everything is happening all at the same time. And it's almost like opening to a page in the book, right? If I open to page 88, page 92 is still written. I just haven't read it yet. I just haven't experienced it yet. Mm -hmm. I have come more to grips with that. So for me, because I have been previously introduced to that, this didn't feel like a complete departure from things that were already accepted within the universe for me. Maze, does that satisfy you, that answer? Yeah. I don't really have anything else to quibble with. I maintain that I believe that that episode was her sorting her shit out in a sensory deprivation tank and that she didn't actually go through a portal and that this was her projection of the world between worlds and this was her projection of Anakin and this was her going through her trauma and getting the answer that she needed. When we go to the world between worlds in season two of Ahsoka, yeah, probably be a little different. If that was the case, I'd be cool with that too. Because if she's like sitting there, that's kind of her coming to her own reckoning, right? Of, hey, I need to evolve if I'm going to continue to survive in this realm. And this is kind of what I have to go through in this very delicate psychological moment in order to get there. I would be okay with that too. Like to me, that would be equally as satisfying. I'm okay with it too, except for the fact that Jason Sindula heard the lightsabers. I know. Clashing. Yes, yes. It can't be in her head at that point. That's a great point. It happened. That's a great point. And Anakin's at the end looking out after her like, you did it, kid. So let me ask you both then. What do you make of Anakin right now? And like, especially that final scene, right? And mm -hmm. seeing him as the force goes there. 
How did you interpret him in that moment? I interpreted it as a continuation of what happened in Shadow Warrior episode where he helped her work through these things and now he's seen her kind of go through it and he's overwatching her kind of as a Force Ghost mentor in the same way that Obi-Wan overwatched for Luke and Qui-Gon, I guess, for Obi-Wan, et cetera, et cetera. The thing for me, I thought about this after we recorded Maze, Return of the Jedi ends and very controversially after the prequels came out, George Lucas went back and switched the original actor who played Anakin's ghost with Hayden Christensen. Yeah. And everyone thought, or everyone of age thought that's kind of bogus because Luke never saw or knew that version of him. And and he's the only one who could see. So you'd be like, wait, who is this young guy standing next to Obi-Wan and Yoda? Yeah. Now, given the creation of Ahsoka, the relationship with Ahsoka, the culmination in Clone Wars of her feeling like it's her fault that Vader turned or facing him in Rebels and dying in season two and then being brought back through the world between worlds in season four. And now her dealing with that grief, it's almost like, okay, I'm way more willing to accept the Return of the Jedi version of him because that existed for somebody at least mm. as opposed to who's he looking good for like Obi-Wan and Yoda like, <laughs> I thought that was just like you choose your own form when you go to heaven you know force heaven maybe it's that you get to choose your best looking version of yourself <laughs> yeah I hope so like I, I'm, I'm debating whether or not for me that would mean hair or not <laughs> but I hope still the case still got some time to make that decision right? yeah. you don't have to decide right now I hope so knock on wood you know, I do really appreciate what has happened here with Anakin. Mm-hmm. I really love what's happened with Hayden Christensen, mm-hmm. the person as well, because we all know better than most that in those years after the prequels, he was so maligned. And I think it was hard for probably him to have a feeling of celebration around that role in those performances, while it simultaneously, no doubt, stunted other opportunities in his professional life, because that's just what happens, right, when you're in this world. And now everybody kind of like upon further review, right, is like, huh, you know what? We're okay with this. Actually, we like, you know, welcome about, hey, we're happy to have you. And I love that not only has, obviously, he's gotten emotional about what it's meant to him, mm-hmm. but I also love that like the performances have felt really good to me where I feel like he's killing it as Anakin. Oh, yeah. He is. But let me ask you this question. Part of the background research that we've been doing throughout the show, we found out that in order to prepare for Ahsoka, Hayden Christensen went back and watched every episode of The Clone Wars so that his performance of Anakin could more closely mirror Mm -hmm. what was required of the character in that moment, as opposed to the Anakin from the prequels, who we saw in his most emotional moments, but that weren't really kind of tied or connected to a master-apprentice relationship where he's the master. Right. I feel weirdly conflicted because I love that as an actor, he set aside his ego of saying, look, I'm Anakin. Mm -hmm. That dude just came in and tried to build off of what I did. He turned around and said, no, no, that's actually a better version of Anakin. Mm. So I need to study the dude who basically came after me. At the same time, when you think about all this love for Hayden Christensen, I recognize, oh man, it's really helped by some strong performances in Obi-Wan and in Ahsoka. Yeah. 
that help us get there to that point. So I don't know if you knew that about him going back and watching the Clone Wars. I didn't. How do you process that? I love that. I love that. It's funny because the performance, one of my favorite acting performances of all time is De Niro in Godfather 2, Part 2. Mm-hmm. You know, because not only does he have to be Vito Corleone, he has to be Marlon Brando as yeah. Vito Corleone, but as a younger version. And what I appreciate about Hayden Christensen doing that is, to your point, I mean, the version he has to be in this, mm-hmm. we really didn't see in the movies. Like, he didn't have to be that version in the movies mm-hmm. first time around, right? Even though it technically took place during the timeline of, you know, the first three movies, but we never really fully experienced it. Obviously, we didn't see him as a master, as you said. So I like that he's like, wait a second, for me to be this period of time, Anakin, the version of Anakin that Ahsoka knows, let me look at the version of Anakin that Ahsoka knows and and let me adopt that. So I, I really respect that, especially because, look, we are all at our core. There's things that stay with us. And then there were all slightly different versions of ourselves every moment of our journey. Right. And mm-hmm. so for him to adopt that for this role, I really like. And I did feel like the chemistry with him and Rosario Dawson was outstanding and then obviously the younger versions of ahsoka as well like i i thought that all the chemistry throughout that felt real and felt like it reminded me of what i watched in the animation had you ever thought of ahsoka as a child soldier before this series no right isn't that weird it's weird it's weird it totally there's something about animation that disarms you to that Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you see it in live action, you're like, oh, gosh, I mean, I don't know what her actual age was, but she was so young. Clearly a child. (laughs) Yeah, she was a child as she's being asked to go on these assignments. So I had never thought of her that way. And like, obviously, that's the episode where the series like shifts. And one thing I do appreciate about this series is Filoni and everybody involved clearly trusted that they knew the end would be juicy enough that they could withstand kind of getting out of the gates a little more slowly and introducing and look like, especially those early episodes, if you didn't completely immerse yourself in clone wars and in rebels, Mm -hmm. you might've been a little bit like, okay, like why do I care this much about Hera? And why do I care about Sabine? And you know, what's Sabine's pet? And you know, like you, you may have just not felt totally, you're like, okay, I'm waiting for, But then the fact that they knew, like, once we have that fourth episode, like, it's going to pop so much that, like, trust me, this is the setup we need. Like, I appreciated that, too. I enjoyed it regardless. But I heard from some people, some of my friends who are Star Wars fans but hadn't really watched the animation, were like, wait, I don't like, it kind of feels like I don't, like, I'm being set up with stuff I don't really care about. You know, it's kind of slow. And then they loved it and were obsessed from episode four on. And I appreciate that that there was a trust that that would happen from the creators. Let's talk about casting. You know, some of these roles obviously are people reprising roles that they'd already played before, like Commander Stryker, who's now the governor, is the guy who did the voice. Thrawn is Lars Mikkelsen, who did the voice. So for those guys, they're just basically stepping in in the flesh. But then you have Natasha Lubordizo, who took over for Sabine, over Tisakir. Tisakir is her name. Amanis Fondi as Ezra. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera. These were people who were taking over established roles in the same way that Rosario did to great acclaim and everyone loved Rosario's Ahsoka back when she was introduced. How did you feel about the newcomers stepping in 
to play roles that we already knew and kind of had a relationship with? So the weirdest one for me was Ezra, Hmm. only initially. And I think it's just because I always thought of Ezra as a boy, Mm -hmm. this talented young boy who's clearly a boy and emotional and, you know, trying to learn, but frustrated easily. And, And to see him as a man took me a minute. And then watching it, I was like, wow, like this feels outstanding. Mm -hmm. His evolution was nailed to me. And so I really appreciated the acting because if I was to think about, okay, how would Ezra be? How would he evolve, especially if he was on this planet by himself after everything he's learned, making the sacrifice he made, kind of evolving to a place where he was willing to make that sacrifice? It felt like, yeah, this is the dude who would who would then be him. So I really appreciated that. I felt the same way in a kind of logical way. Well, of course, he's grown up. Of course, this is how he'd be yeah. until the scene where he says, you can take his hostage. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's Ezra. That's definitely Ezra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the humor I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So honestly, casting across the board, I thought was great. I thought Hera was great, very believable as Hera. Sabine, I thought like in the initial moments, like with Ahsoka, maybe took me a minute, but got there. Mm-hmm. My only complaint is I wanted more episodes in this season kind of like what you texted to me and like my only bad feelings is that like the eighth episode was the final episode because i really wanted more to me hera was the only one and it's not even a casting issue i think the way the character is written mm-hmm. hera's always been the grown-up the responsible one the voice of reason motherly right almost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in this series i felt she was whiny she was emotional mm. and like, that's not the hero hero i knew was always like the composed yeah yeah and yeah this one's losing her patience in meetings in a tribunal and i was like ah, that's not hera i don't know why they wrote her that way mm. so i guess you shouldn't take that out on on mary elizabeth winston did you ever watch by the way star wars resistance i did i watched pieces of i, I didn't i never like dove into it the way i did rebels and clone wars yeah me too because siono obviously his son is the main character yeah me and my kids started going back to watch it now to kind of get a feel i gotta do it now then by the way your boy freddie prince jr now that we see this like live action with all these people i wish Kanan was alive yeah we could have freddie <laughs> in it man because you know they would have they're not recasting that freddie's getting that role no yeah just stick a wig on him yeah he's good like, <laughs> yeah yes oh i wish i wish don't worry ezra will get his own force ghost soon I'm sure we'll get Freddy at some point. We have to. I would imagine that's going to happen. Since we've heard his voice already, too, in Rise of Skywalker, right? Yeah. And Freddy, obviously, at least my impression without knowing him, I mean, whenever I would hear him with you, is like he really, truly loves this role. He loves Star Wars. I learned so much about Star Wars from him. Yeah. The symbolism and you know a lot of the deeper, the references. I'll never forget, I watched, when I watched the duel between... Obi-Wan and Maul at the end of Rebels, where, spoiler alert, Maul finally does die. Yeah. I was disappointed. I said, oh, man, I thought, even though it hadn't happened yet, I thought it was going to look like Ahsoka versus Maul in Clone Wars season six. I thought it was going to be, like, amazing. And it was just two strokes and it was over. And Freddie had to explain to me that it was based on this samurai movie and it's an homage to this. And also the fact that Maul tried to pull the same thing he killed Qui-Gon with. Mm. Like he did the same move. Yeah. But because Obi-Wan obviously had seen it and committed to memory, he was able to counter and and split him. And that's why 
that's why it happened that way. So Freddie definitely has been, has kind of been my master as far as helping me understand a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd do it. I think he would do it. Maybe even though he says he doesn't like doing live action stuff. I don't know. I guess I got to ask him. Yeah. You got to ask him, man. Yeah. I feel like it'll happen. A couple of other things, new characters, Balin Skull. Yeah. I'm opening the lane for you. Gosh, he was so good. He was so good. So good, huh? And to me, that's like, I don't know what they're going to do there. Got to recast it, Ryan. You have to, right? You don't have a choice but to recast. We can't write this out. Yeah. And we know there's been, you know, this is been something they've been resistant to do in recent years, recasting, because he's not as established as, say, Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher. I would think that they'd be more likely to, but his performance was so distinguished that I hope I feel the buy-in when I'm watching whoever replaces him. Like I love Batman begins. And for me, the reason it's my favorite in that trilogy always, besides always liking the origin stories and the origin stories are great is I just couldn't buy Maggie Gyllenhaal after seeing Katie Holmes. Really? Yeah. Wow. I thought she did a good job. Rachel. You know what? I thought she did a good job too. And maybe it's also because I was a big Dawson's Creek fan. Uh, so Katie had a special place in my heart. Baggage. But like when he has to decide, when when Christian Bale has to decide, who am I going to save? Mm-hmm. And you know that Rachel dies, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't feel the same like emotional pull that I know I would have. If it had been Katie Holmes. Wow. Because to me, she was Rachel. For that series, she was Rachel. Right. And obviously, Batman has a long history of recasting the same roles in successive movies. So maybe it's more accepted for people who are like, you know, really big Batman fans and everything else. But that bothered me. And so I just hope that whoever takes over this role, I can like buy in right away. And by the way, just to be clear, I don't think it was like anything having to do with Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance. It was just like the way I felt about Katie Holmes and the role, you know? Yeah. And like, so I would say this to whoever comes next. Like, it's hard because Stevenson was so good as Balin that like, that's a whole lot to live up to. But what I'm so curious about is obviously the things he's teased, right? Like, what is he searching for there? That's my next question. What is he searching for slash what is the father pointing to? Right. One of the articles I read was about whatever that figure is that can actually eliminate the force if they want to who is it i don't know the mother is it the mother who can eliminate the force or is it something beyond the mother father i saw something about the mother and how she's forgotten from the paintings and the murals and the statues and that there's this other potential force out there the sister you mean no there's a mother as well there's a mother wow. but it's from legends canon it's not canonized uh Yeah. So like my wonder would be because he has a little bit of Thanos in him in the sense of hey, this isn't working. Right. We need to do something dramatic to reset the universe. Right. And so my wonder is like, is he trying to access the mother's power, whoever it is, so that he can like eliminate the force? Like, is that actually what he's there to try? Wow. Yeah. I'm wondering if he is there to try and eliminate the force once and for all. Whoa. Abeloth, right? That's what you're thinking of? Yes, Abeloth. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. She's known as the beloved queen of the stars, bringer of chaos, first lived as the servant. Throughout her life, she became the mother. Yes. She kept the peace between the father's warring son and daughter and became a loving member of the family. Yes. And like the idea is that she has the ability, or she had the ability, because maybe she's 
been killed. I forget because obviously this is like, you know, tangential stories, but the idea that like she had the ability if she wanted to, like she was the one being that could like just eliminate the force. And so the question would be, is that where he's at? Because he doesn't feel like he's not like Jedi. He's not Sith, right? He's he's straddling this yeah. this role, you know, or is he looking to be the father? Like, is he looking to take the role that we think Anakin may have taken where he can kind of use each for whatever in whatever moment that he wants? The only question then would be like, to what end? What is the ultimate goal then for Balin if he's going to attain those powers? The series, or I guess the season, hopefully it's the season that series, ends with Ezra smuggled aboard Thrawn's ship as it jumps to hyperspace and returns to the galaxy. He reunites with Hera, but Ahsoka and Sabine are left stranded on Paradia. How do they get back to civilization or do they get back to civilization? I think they get back to civilization and I'm guessing that they find a way back through following whatever Balin's after. Mm -hmm. Like somehow that is going to be their portal back to, you know, the universe they they're looking to get back to. I don't think they're getting any more free rides. Hergul Uber is shut down, you think, for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think so. I think the space creatures have united and said, okay, we're, we're done. But I think there's probably something accessible there to them, some greater force power that can get them back. That's what I'm guessing. Like, my idea would be we see Ezra having, you know, his battle, or maybe he's like, in some ways, trying to convince the politicians of what's happening, whatever it is with what's going on with Thrawn as the seeds of the first order are being planted. Mm -hmm. And then simultaneously Sabine and Ahsoka are going to be in conflict with Balin and then maybe learning of what's really up with that planet. And that will be their, their ticket to getting back. Will the night sisters alliance with Thrawn continue beyond Mm. this arrangement that they had? It's a good question. It's interesting, right? Because they acted very subservient to him. And why do you think that is? Why do you think they were willing to be that way with Thrawn? I said it was transactional. Yeah, we've speculated that they essentially made a deal where he ferries them to Dathomir and they help him get there. Got you. So going forward, when they revive whatever's in the box and they set up their new colony, are they still going to be Thrawn's ally or are they going to do their own thing? I think they'll probably still be Thrawn's ally because I think Thrawn is smart. And I think he knows the value of their power. I thought Thrawn was great. Everything about him felt like Thrawn. Maybe they won't feel the need, but I think Thrawn will do what he has to to keep them aligned. Whatever that is. All right. Moment of truth has come. Oh, boy. Ryan, what is your overall grade for Ahsoka? And then I need you to rank this season along with all the other live action Star Wars shows we've gotten. Okay. Season by season, too. While you ruminate, let me just repeat for the listeners. You've got Andor season one, Mandalorian seasons one, two, and three. You've got Book of Boba Fett season one. Obi-Wan season one and Ahsoka. All right. So my grade for Ahsoka would be a nine. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed it. It gave me everything I wanted. I knew some people who didn't really know Ahsoka other than her appearances in Mandalorian. And was she in Book of Boba Fett? 
too in an episode. Yeah, she comes in and talks to Luke. That's right. Those people feel, felt connected to Ahsoka through this, which I thought was like job well done. I was going to feel connected to her no matter what, but I thought for the people who didn't watch, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels. So I loved it. I give it a nine. What would have made it a 10? What would have made it a 10 was more episodes. Got it. That's it. <laughs> like, I didn't feel satisfied with the ending. I felt excited by it because of what's to come. Mm -hmm. But then the reality of, oh, I know I have to wait at minimum, like 18 months, probably, you know. Two years, easily. So that's the only thing that keeps it from being a 10 for me. Otherwise, it, it would be. So I give it a nine. Ranking, by the way, mind you, like I said before, everything was at least a seven, seven and a half for me. I truly have enjoyed all of it, all of it. And I rewatch a lot of it. But since we have to go this way, seventh, I will put season three of Mando. Wow. Okay. Hmm, okay. I loved, 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 loved. The second to last episode was one of my favorite episodes of all time. And I loved the last two episodes in total, but I thought otherwise... There was maybe like a little too much soft filler in the season mm. compared to the way I felt the other season. So I would put that seventh. I'll put Book of Boba Fett sixth. I still really enjoyed it. I actually loved the evolution and the journey that we saw Boba go on. And I loved it. I loved the Luke stuff. I loved the Grogu stuff. Like I loved the Mando stuff. Like I loved all of it. But since we have to, you know, we have to have some order. So six for that. Mando season one. I would put fifth. Fantastic. Really enjoyed the acceleration at the end. The only reason that I wouldn't put it higher is because of how much I love the other things. And because what hits me is the connectivity and the callbacks and all that. And like there was a lot of kind of like isolated episodes in the beginning that felt like those standalone Westerns, right? Yeah. Mission of the week. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed them, but they were in a box until the end, which was like this sensational finish. But if I'm thinking about the season... That would be why it's fifth. Fourth, I'm going to put Ahsoka. You've heard all the reasons why I love it. Third, I will put Mando's season two. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm higher on Obi-Wan than most people. Dude, and you love that one. I remember us talking about that finale. Right. Season two of Mando to me was... It was perfect. It was basically perfection. Yeah. Season two of Mando I thought was perfection. Especially like the last four or five episodes of that season was hit after hit after hit after hit. Where if I go back and watch it now, maybe I'd end up vaulting it to the top of the rankings. But number two for me would be Obi-Wan. Now, Obi-Wan to me, just like getting to see him, getting to see Vader again, seeing the way they interact, seeing Obi-Wan and getting some like color on what he was going through at that time, seeing you and McGregor in that role again. It was just so nostalgic for me. I know people like had their issues with little Leia at different points. I thought she was terrific. <laughs> I thought she was great. I loved her in that role. I believed her in the role. I think this is actually, it could be part of it. Like I have a little girl who's two, well, obviously Leia was older in that, but like, mm -hmm. so I just pictured my daughter as her. And I felt like the sweetness about her and a curiosity that made me feel connected and I understand that if you were going like pure television scale, like you would definitely put Mando season two ahead of that. Like there's no question. But like for me, it just hit so emotionally. And what I appreciated was they hit all the notes that like I wanted as a fan. Even the Qui-Gon Force Ghost at the end, you know, and the scene for me, like with Obi-Wan, like in that final fight scene with Vader, like getting to see Prime Vader and being ruthless, like all of it just hit for me. And I thought that a story that was going to be really hard for them to come up with something, 
I thought they did as good of a job as they possibly could have for that period of time and the constraints that they had. So that's why I put it second. And then first I put Andor because first of all, I do think there's something to the way they gave us 12 episodes Mm -hmm. and it felt like complete and just, there was so many different, you know, arcs of that story. I thought it was clearly the best look we had at just the horror of living under the empire at that time Mm -hmm. and how just unfair it felt because sure with politics, there's always going to be issues. We're seeing that as they try and build the new Republic. Right. And everybody knows that nothing's perfect, but everything about that just felt like so oppressive. And we've known that obviously that's the way the empire is presented to us, but without giving us detail really other than the strength of Vader, the emperor, but here we really see like the boots on the ground grit of what that was like. Mm-hmm. And Diego Luna is, I think he's just so good playing that role. You know, there is something to be said of like the same reasons I loved Obi-Wan don't necessarily exist in Andor, right? Like you're absent of the force and the magic that draws us into Star Wars. But I just thought the storytelling and how rich with grit Andor felt makes it number one for me. The thing that I like about Andor also is that in the same way that it demonstrates the oppressiveness of the empire, it humanizes the people who are carrying out all that stuff. Like you start to see how could anyone be part of, oh, because they think they're doing the right thing. They think they stand for law and order and these people are just, you know, terrorists or whatever. So I enjoyed seeing things from the other side of this conflict and much like Rogue One, it's a story about the day-to-day. Yeah. Not supernatural wizards and people controlling things and royalty. These are just regular people at the end of the day. And and that's that's why I, I really enjoyed Andor. Yeah. As I enjoyed this conversation with you, Ryan Rucco. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Ryan Rucco, big Katie Holmes guy, big little Leia guy. Yeah. <laughs> so you think about your kid is little Leia. I was like, I thought about yeah. my kid is Shin Hati. <laughs> you know what's funny is like my daughter's name's Everly. We call her Evie. But there was a moment where Holly Rowe had actually suggested to me, she was like, you know, you should name your daughter Alea. Like A, because my wife's name's Andrea, so an A. Yeah. And then Leia, like, and I was like, oh, I actually like really like that name. Like Alea. I like that. My wife, I couldn't get on board, no. but Maybe maybe there was something there as well why I love Leia in Obi-Wan. But hey, guys, I always love getting the chance to talk Star Wars. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Ryan. I'll tell you what you need to do is you just need to get with someone at Lucasfilm to name someone Evie. And then there you go. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, if you guys are listening, please. <laughs> we need a little Evie. I love sports. I love beer. I love watching sports and drinking beer at the same time. So when I turn on a hockey game and need something to quench my thirst, I reach for the beer that only has 96 calories. Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste that you want, and less of the stuff that you don't. Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, Great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time. 
To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. And we're joined now by a man of many talents and many titles. He is the radio voice of the Miami Heat. You hear him do the play-by-play. He also hosts the studio show post-game with Ron Rothstein and Co. I should say, right? Yeah, yeah. Cavalcade of individuals. Amy Otterbert's there. Will Manso. Emmy-nominated superstar Kelly Sacco. Your buddy! Chair Bear. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's in on it too. Attache case. Cash money. That's what we like to call him. <laughs> the Pander Bear. There he is. He also hosts Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio with Kirk Morrison. But you know him best as my co-host on exactly right. NBA Radio, NBA Insiders, Sundays, 10 a.m. Eastern. Lock it in, channel 86. He is Jason Jackson. And Jack's the world knows you as a fun guy, a basketball guy. The world does not know you, I don't believe, as a Star Wars guy. So please explain to the people your Star Wars origin story because it begins at the very beginning as he tilts down <laughs> to a Miami Heat Boba Fett t-shirt. Thank you very much. 1977, Cleveland Heights, Ohio, in Shaker Square in Shaker Heights, adjacent town to Cleveland Heights on the east side of Cleveland. My mom and dad's college friends were taking their children to go see this brand new sci-fi situation. And my parents just didn't give a bleep about such things. The fact that I have a career in sports is so divergent from their interests. If it was student government, if it was anything to do with our music, clearly our academics, they were down like four flat tires. But I mean, if it had anything to do with anything they saw as a departure from such things, they just weren't interested. It wasn't spiteful. I don't think it just was not their bad. Mm. So Star Wars would not have fit into <laughs> what they thought their, at the time, five and three-year-old should go see. But <laughs> it's a great thing about being Jeffrey Tilson Jackson, my, my brother, he did everything the same time I did. Oh. Everything. So if I was five or 10 or 12, he was three, eight, and 10 doing the exact same thing. So anyway, we go over, we see the film. I'm five, so I don't have any buildup to it. There was no buildup. It's brand new. It's brand new, and, and movie trailers didn't work like that in the late 70s. It just wasn't like you weren't inundated with stuff. But thanks to Paul and Sandy Logan, we went. And I've been forever changed. I remember thinking about how much, when you go back and look at the timeline of the distance between A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, this group of, and I'm not going to make this generational, I'm just going to be, the fact that we don't wait a whole bunch of time for the next flick in this day and age. Back then, you had to wait like four or five Three years. times. Yeah, I mean, like long gaps before you could get to your, your next iteration. So you had to be, you had to lock in. What I didn't do guys was I wasn't off the main track until streaming. So I kind of just stayed on the main track with the films. I didn't read canon and non-canon graphic novels. I didn't go that far. And then 
this love affair that we have, you've you've taken me, mm. you've taken me to a whole nother place, and I and I thank you for it. <laughs> there you go, another satisfied customer. Yeah, no, but seriously, Rebels wouldn't have happened. I felt like I saw the Clone Wars. I, I was like, I saw that already. You're like, no, 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 you haven't, because yeah. there's an animated rainfall awaiting you. Right. It's just go, please enjoy yourself. And I mean, thank goodness, like during COVID, I caught up on everything. And so now I'm just fair catching stuff like a tenured professor. It's beautiful. So we're reviewing, obviously, Ahsoka. Yeah, and Lord. I'm going to ask you for your final grade for the season at the end. But I want to start with a couple of build-up things, all right? Okay. Number one, how satisfied were you with the recast decisions, right? Not the new characters. No, no. Yeah. But... The people that you already knew, because there's some people who played themselves. Lars Mikkelsen was the voice on the show, and he plays Thrawn right. on Ahsoka. But Hera, Ezra, Sabine, these are all new actors stepping into these roles. I tend to prefer that the voice actor gets the gig. Like, I dig that, right? However, let us just focus on the genius and I don't know if fan art drove this. I, I'm not sure. Was it the, the rumors and industry rag letting you know the conversations were happening with Rosario Dawson? Or were people going, hey, this would be awesome. The fact that she's fine in orange <laughs> as well. Because Rosario, is, while she's younger than me, it just connects with her career and my, my love affair with American cinema. Like, it's just, she's with me. She's yeah. been with me. I've been with her. I wish. And it's <laughs> it's been a delight. And what I love about all of this, and it's what we learn, particularly when you have, I'm going to say mainstream in the sense of known substantial filmography actors getting into this space, is first of all, you realize we have this shared love affair, right? And so the fact that not only is she a Star Wars fan slash geek slash nerd, it's a role she coveted this particular role. And so mm -hmm. that's what you're feeling. She has been excellent as a freshly minted middle-aged Ahsoka. I think she's been everything you would maybe project in your mind. Maybe for her species, that's not middle-aged. It, it could be obviously still. I think they age the same, at the same rate as okay. regular people. So Because she is like early 40s, right? That's the, what we're assuming. Yeah. She's like early, early 40s. It's just been awesome the gravity of which she plays the role on top of when you listen to her talk about it in in press how much she loves the role i've i don't know if you and i talked about it because we we actually commit star wars time in our nba world and they people just have to enjoy that mm -hmm. or not on nba insiders the thrawn thing i'm fine with it because it sounds right so it just as long as it tickles one of my senses I'm cool. Right. The thing that I think you have to do, and I don't know who I heard. It was a voice actor, I think, who said this, that when you change over, when you've played the role in animation and you bring it into real life, you have to alter the way you play the role. You're so out of your skin mm. when you're a voice actor because you're breathing life into animation, mm -hmm. whereas when you get on a stage, soundstage, you, you actually have to turn it down a little bit. Yeah, you got you to gotta pull it back some, yeah. So that's, I think, what we're feeling. For anybody who doesn't feel kind of that intensity of the, the evil of Thrawn. Well, I mean, he's got to 
Like you can't just slather like it's mayonnaise. Like he's got to bring it back a little bit. But I've enjoyed. I'm gonna check every box, man. I don't. I don't think there's a character that is coming in as themselves or or their character or has been recast that I haven't been pleased with in Ahsoka. One of the things that caused great conflict between me and my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, is the episode that exists. In the world between worlds, or maybe not. Leading the witness, objection. Uh, okay. I feel like we should go into chambers on this one. <laughs> Ahsoka and Anakin meet, and Ahsoka works through some things. Did that happen all in her head, or was that in the world between worlds, according to Jason Jackson? Oh, no. That was entirely, entirely the world between worlds, because I wanted it to happen. And here's the thing. I knew what it was, right? I already knew. Like, you had easily, I'm going to say easily 35% of the audience that's taking in Ahsoka without knowledge mm-hmm. of the previous trip to this space in animation going, where the, what the, who, the, but for obviously those of us that know all about it, you're going, oh yeah, no, this is, this is what's up. This is what's up. And the fact that Jason was the only one who could feel what was going on tells you that it was exactly that. He heard him. He heard the lightsabers, man. Come on, man. What more do you want? Mom, don't you? Don't you hear it? And she's like, uh-huh, yeah. Well, no, it took her forever. She had to concentrate. She didn't hear it. She was faking it. She was faking? She was faking it, for sure. She was just nodding because her kid was hearing lightsabers. I think sometimes the force, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do the joke. I'm not doing the joke about the force being inside her. Yeah, I'm not. I refuse. Well, that's how Jason got here. <laughs> there he is. All right, Jason. So Anakin, though. Yeah. So the Anakin that she meets, is it a force ghost? Is it the real Anakin in the world between worlds? Is it a projection of her mind? What version of Anakin are we encountering here? I'm going to say whatever she needed. Mm. Whatever she needs. not up to us as the outside observer. It's not even up to Anakin. But Anakin is not with us. And it's hard to tell how time works in the War, the war between worlds, the world between worlds. I think for those of us that are not force sensitive, I think it's it's got to be whatever it is that she needed. There was no glow. So I think we have to be really careful with the force ghosts, but maybe force ghosts don't have a glow in that space, right? In the world between worlds. I'm allowing that to be whatever it is the individual needs. And I'm hoping heaven's the same way, by the way. Mm. What is the ultimate power that Balin Skull was seeking mm. or is seeking, I should say. Are we going to find out next season? That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. We don't know if there's going to be a season two. We don't know oh. if there's going to be a spinoff. We don't know if there's going to be a Come on. movie. We don't know how it's going to manifest. Hold on. Let me see. Baloney's called. Yep. Season two. Oh, done. Got it already. <laughs> <laughs> it's gnarly, right? Like whatever it is, it ain't, it's not going to be, it's not going to be this balanced justice that I think the character is trying to present to us. I, and I don't know if that's even really the concern, uh, because what what do we know about absolute power? It just corrupts absolutely. So I'm not sure what it is, but it's definitely going to be a complete problem. And they're going to have to deal with it, right? Because they're waiting on the whales. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you get like a trip tick to the... The warp whales. What are the real names? I suppose. Sorry. The Purgle? Purgle, yes. But Jackson, here's a question. To use Maze's terminology, 
do you get to call the Pergil Uber a second time or does the app not work now you're in Paradia? Yeah, that's my point. Like, it's almost like a bust. Seems like if Ezra could have called one, mm-hmm. he'd been gone. He would have done so in the decade that he was hanging out with the uh, snail turtles. Yeah, but you have to get up there, right? The stop is not on the terrestrial level. You got to go catch the ride up in, up in the sky. Oh, you got to get out into the yeah. I got it. Yeah. They don't land. There's no service on ground? No, I don't think so. And the ship is wrecked, right? Well, so good ship works. So they can they can planet hop. Yeah, they'll figure it out. They can explore the galaxy more if they want to. But I think that's where we pick up the story. Well, we're going to have two stories we're going on, right? It's Thrawn kicking everybody's behind. And then this crew trying to get out of the mix. And, and who was the... Real quick, I, I did not get deep into my post-season finale analysis. Who's the crew of cats, like in the red and black, at the very end? They were on the same planet with us. That Shin goes to? Yes, Shin. They're locals. They're barbarians. The local warlords. She's apparently going to become a renegade. Gotcha. She's going to put them on payroll. Okay. Yeah, she's going to have a new crew. <laughs> put them on payroll. Gotcha. <laughs> How did you feel about Balin dumping Shin like that and just saying, hey, you know what? Go do your thing. I got other plans. Yeah. When you're on the dark side, right? I mean, you get, it's what you sign up for. Is that it could get dicey. Like this could get sideways. We might not be friendly all the time. And he's myopic now, right? I don't know how he sees his mastership, but we can almost create the parallel though, right? With Ahsoka, like these folks that don't finish their duty, you know, to their Padawan. So they're kind of in that column as he is now moved on to whatever pool of green crazy magic that he might be trying to figure out is available there. But I still need an answer for you. What is Balin after? Thank you for challenging me there. With his reminiscing of how it used to be, Mm. right? And even though he speaks poorly of the Jedi and doesn't even consider himself a part of that anymore, when he was speaking about pre-Order 66 life as a youngling, Mm -hmm. I think there was something there that's going to connect those dots, that he's trying to get us all back to the pure peacekeeping era right of the jedi and its responsibility now i don't know if he'll call it that you know but i think there's something of him being at the helm of what is very you know thanos centric thinking of i'm gonna do something horrible but you're gonna thank me gonna be great i might not be wrong my genocide is is balanced (laughs) fair and balanced (laughs) Uh, speaking of genocide, oh, Lord. well, I mean, look, this is Star Wars, man. Yes, uh, One of the plot points is the Night Sisters of Dathomir aligning themselves with Thrawn. Oh, I can't stand. <laughs> you can't stand them? No, I can't stand them. <laughs> What's more they do to you? They're ridiculously powerful. And that's my thing. I'm just like, why do we need you all in here? Like, we already have mystical and magical things. Witchcraft. <laughs> They're making this challenging. And then you got boxes of dead people now. It's like night of the living dead in here. This is not what I showed up for. Do you think their alliance with Thrawn is going to continue? Because here's the thing I pointed out in our season finale of recapping this is the Night Sisters were massacred because Palpatine ordered Dooku to go out there and exterminate them because they posed a threat. Now, Thrawn operates in service of slash in the same steps as Palpatine. Right. So for them to collaborate with Thrawn, even though he's not directly responsible for their massacre, he is aligned with the people who did. So 
Do you think this marriage of convenience continues or this was just for them to get off the planet and get all those corpses off there as well? All of the above. Was that a choice? Was that a choice? No. No. (laughs) So let's dive inside everybody's motivations, right? Mm -hmm. The banishment is a motivation. Let's all get out of here. So that's the first part. Right. This stuff, like Thrawn doesn't fool me. (laughs) All right. This is, he ain't about the emperor. He ain't about the empire. Okay. First of all, he's drunk with power. Wow. Right. Like he is now revered. He's the only thing left. And his entire connection to the empire was only about saving his people. Yeah. His world. The just it just needed straight protection or they were going to be obliterated from the universe. And so, all right, I'm in. I'm enlisting. I'm your guy. Leave my people. Let him go. Let him go. Mm. So his motivations are very Moses-ish, right? And <laughs> did he ever really sign up for all of this? I don't think so. So I don't know if that reveals itself. I don't know if we have to wait for the Thrawn trilogy for all that. I'm saying reveal itself in this series, but I think we're going to get beyond kind of the pledge and the altruistic love of empire soon. Wow. I agree with that a little bit because I see a split coming within the Imperial Remnant as it currently exists because we know that there's General Paella or Paeon who is working on bringing Sidious back. We know that there's the whole Darth Sidious cloning situation. There's Snoke eventually. Mm -hmm. And Ron doesn't seem to fit into that. And if you're saying that you think that he's a little more self-motivated than he would like other people to believe, we have that scene in the finale where he says, no, it's not for me. It's for the Empire. And we'll see how true that is. I could see a little division within the bad guys at some point. But Tony, that's the thing. Even the council themselves, like the little shadow council, that's not, that's like nine different pages of interests, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I guess some people on the same page about Thrawn. We need that battle freak. Right. There's the Thrawn loyalists that are looking for leadership. But I think that's also convenient because he is a ruthless warmonger, right? Like he'll just do whatever. And so I could see the motivation of like, if you're trying to regain your position back, in your horrible control of the, the galaxy, that that's your guy. Throw him out there. Let's get it. Wow. This is interesting. You're saying that Thrawn is basically doing fake athlete speak when he says, oh, no, it's all about the team. Mm-hmm. It's actually all about him, and he wants power. I think Thrawn's going to demand a trade. <laughs> he might show up to camp a little overweight. Maybe he's already put on that weight. I mean, oh, maybe man. he's not in playing shape anymore. You know, maybe he's been in the club too much. With the night witches. <laughs> he, I mean, look. Yeah. The non-club. He's been in the non-club too much. <laughs> yeah. He's put on some LBs for sure. So where are you, I mean, on it? I feel like Thrawn is the most unemotional dude. I think he's kind of immune to all this stuff, and everything has a purpose. Everything is part of a bigger plan or plot point. And so in my mind, I think Thrawn, yes, he plans to unify all the warlords and all that. But in some way, this is going to transition into whatever the First Order becomes in 20 years or whatever. So I think these are the seeds of it. Because remember, there seems to be this myopia happening in the New Republic that everything's fine Mm. and we don't even need a military. Right. So 
it can't be he comes back and then they defeat him with no military. It's got to be a longer con than that. So I'm interested. I don't know. I, I don't know. Also, the, I don't know if the Night Sisters are loyal to that. I think they're loyal to getting what they need. And once that happens. Along for the ride. Right. In the same way that Balin and Shin were along for the ride. And once they were done being useful to him, he was like, all right, you know, I don't need them around either. Yeah. Shifting gears a little to the way this thing was made. Mm. There were two major plot points that were hinted at, but then ultimately never shown. One was the falling out between Ahsoka and Sabine, and the other was what Thrawn and Ezra went through when they got to Paradis. Like, what have they been up to? And both of those things were explained away with words. I think Ezra said, yeah, we got here, and he woke the Night Sisters up, and then everything else, all hell broke loose. I'm like, well, that doesn't, <laughs> wait a second. You can't yada yada that. Yeah, and at the same time, Thrawn's like, I couldn't find the Jedi. I couldn't find him. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he was out there. Uh, He's out there. I couldn't find I just gave up. Yeah. The other side of it was Hu Yang telling Ezra, oh, yeah, Sabine, you know, was all emotional, and that's why Ahsoka stopped training her. I just felt like, guys, you could have shown us this, right? We could have seen this. You know what? I mean, I, n I never underestimate what has to come out of something. You know what I mean? You and I have both been a part of the joy and pain of documentary making. And so I imagine making scripted is as challenging mm -hmm. just without as much bleep, you know, just sitting around. I will reserve the right to say, okay, let's see. I'm not going to get the Blu-ray, but I will listen to people who've watched it. And I think we may be amazed at some of the stuff that was there. They just go, we got to move this quicker. Yeah. And so I trust those cats on that front. You know, Filoni led stuff is not void of much. Right. I will at least say that was a tough meeting. <laughs> and they're all sitting around going, no, but we got to, we got to do this. No, we're running, running out of time. Yeah. We got to make that part of it quicker because we want to spend more time on something else. And I, I will be okay with that. I understand. I would have liked to have seen the Sabine aspect probably more than anything else, only because like so emotional that you think she was going to go to the dark side. Like, yeah. And I guess, you know, I shouldn't say that lightly because the teetering is so, I won't say easy, but it speaks to our nature more than the light side. And also, I mean, who would be most sensitive to that phenomenon than Ahsoka, given yeah. what she, the internal turmoil that we learned she's dealing with, feeling guilt over what happened to Anakin. Yeah. When you deal with Top Cat on that front, you're like, okay. What happened to the best of us? If that happened to the chosen one, then this one's in trouble. <laughs> so I'm moving on. She says it about Grogu mm. in The Mandalorian. She says, I've seen what those kind of emotions can do to the best of us. Yeah, with him being right at Order 66, that stuff. So Grogu, I just had an epiphany. What's that? When you start thinking about everyone that was at the temple, we're starting to get like a connection of all these beings that were at the temple. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I do have these moments, and I shouldn't, but I do have these moments like, but was Anakin the like? Was he the best ever? Like, was he? Ah, oh, come on, man. He's no, a, but I mean, but there's so many. He's the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, I know it. Where my brother? Anywho, yeah. always coming back to yes, but I'm saying. I like this revisionist history from Jax, though. Yeah, walk me down. Was he? No. How many championships yeah. did Anakin really win? <laughs> Not really fighting it. You know, he had Obi-Wan on his team. Did he win without Obi-Wan? No. It's just the point I'm thinking about. If my mind does wander, gentlemen, right? I'm always brought back to, man, this cat has a connective fiber. No, hold on. I know that the end realization is like, of course, he is the goat or whatever. Right. I want you to walk me through the journey of doubt, though. <laughs> Take me through that journey of doubt because I haven't heard this before. Well, because I'll start listening to these things that are not necessarily canon or stuff about like original Jedis yeah. in the real long, long time ago. And I'm like, well, can we consider these cats? And are we going to kill all these new young Jedis? Like they don't have skills, but then I don't waste any time. You're like, well, Bill Russell also, you know, like blocked 50 shots in the game. And I mean, let's have some respect for Will Chamberlain, did I? Like, it's like, but no, it's funny when you think about what really brought Anakin, I guess it's two major shifts in who he is. Mm-hmm. Major, major. That's three. Let's do three. His mother's dying, his wife is dying, and then the prospect of his son dying. Mm-hmm. You look at those three major pivot points and the intensity, like, so mom dies and it's moving him a little closer, his wife, the concept of trying to save her, right? Do anything for that. And then you realize as you learn more as a Star Wars fan that, you know, there was like a real understanding that Palpatine was not his dog. He was just a process to get to what he really wanted, which was to save Padme. Yeah. You know, so as they were going through their relationship post transition to Darth Vader, there was probably a great level of constant disdain. But then again, who loves their boss? <laughs> yeah, that was the analogy that I made with Balin at the temple. These guys, they just don't know how to run a temple. <laughs> <laughs> the worst Templars. They're doing it all wrong. Like, I could do it better. That's a great. I like the idea. Maybe he'll make his own temple. Yeah, I'll show you. So yeah, I find my sanity, guys. Don't, don't think that I spend a whole lot of time on it. All right, Jax, moment of truth. Yep. I'm going to need two things from you. I need you to give us a grade on a scale of 10, how you like this season of Ahsoka. Oh, wow. And then I need you to rank this against all other live-action TV series. The only unfair thing I'm going to say is I have a little bit more of Andor and Mandalorian to love. So that's the tough part. But I'm going to answer your question. On the scale, I rarely go to 10 on anything because I want – everyone to feel like they can improve yeah you gave anakin a nine we get it yeah (laughs) 9.99 room for growth for the chosen one yes i'm gonna say 8.5 because nine is my 10 okay and i will say the only thing that i could have had i can always have more force use like i could never get enough of people getting tossed around wow i just want more i just always want more we had plenty and I had enough saber. Yeah. I was. I didn't walk away going more saber. I need more saber. So I wish I had a Christopher Walken impression, but I know. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try it. I felt like I had enough action. I'm just a big fan of force use. So even like within a lightsaber fight, when somebody gets shoved around and thrown or heads get knocked together, it's a great joy for me. I just always want more. I just always want more. I, I want the episodes to be 50 minutes, 60 minutes. Yeah, I think that's a compliment in there, right? Like, yeah, I'm only pulling back because I wanted more of what they were doing. Felt really good about it. As for the ranking, man, that is just a truck. Because I thought Mandalorian was the best that they had done, and you had hyped Andor so hard. I'm like, 
I mean, you're going to ruin this for me because I'm going to expect this wonderful. Di- and then I loved it. <laughs> that I loved it, right? Because I almost missed Rogue One. I almost was going to leave Rogue One alone. Like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. And you're like, no, no, no. You got to watch it, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, you got to go get it. For maximum drama here, I want you to count us down from seven to one. Oh, Least favorite to most favorite. I'm going to work backwards. So I hate to do this because I didn't dislike it as much as people did, but, you know, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan number seven. Yeah, I liked it more than that, but I'm going to say I can't. Put it above the stuff I'm about to to roll out. Sure. I was not a big fan of season three of Mandalorian. So I'm going to put that next. Then Mandalorian 2.5, which is Boba Fett. I'm going to put that yeah. there. <laughs> Ahsoka, two Mandos, and Andor are left on the board. So I'm going to go Mando season one, Ahsoka, Mando season two. Number one for me. And Andor goes where? Oh, I'm sorry, Andor. Pull up, put Andor underneath Mandalorian Season 2 as number two. Yeah? I loved Mandalorian Season 2. That's number one. For me, it's the more connective piece to my original love of Star Wars. And Andor is you making me love a show that I didn't think I was going to watch at all. <laughs> and it was awesome. So thank you. So thank you. When you say you, you're saying Amin. Yes, Amin. Amin Hassan specifically. <laughs> yes, I peer pressure him. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was looking at him. I'm so, that's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because Mandalorian season two, I thought that was a series finale. Like they did it. I would have been fine with it being. End it right there. Yeah. Yeah. To me, Jax, that final episode with the Luke reveal and everything. Oh, my God. It was such a rush. I was so hyped. I remember watching it with my wife, who is not a massive sci-fi anything mm-hmm. and you would have i can't equate anything to i'm trying to think of any experience i had other than the end of sixth sense that's what it was that's what i was feeling wow like going, what wow he's what? who's what is he come? oh he's dead i see jedi people he's been dead and i'm going wait here comes who's that you know because you see the you see the x-wing fighter right go by the window Mm -hmm. and the crazy wwe right wing girl she's flipping out right like like, who is that lady not girl and then you know the walk and it's very similar to dad right yeah in rogue one like it's it's awesome so well done we're very fortunate that we have the film caretakers right that are running these shows like we're very, very for for the most part. No, no I, for the most part, exactly. Maybe not all the shows. Maybe not all the shows, but no, not all the shows. The shows that we just we're talking about, absolutely. Mandalorian and now this beautiful Ahsoka ness. Well, Jax, thank you so much for joining us. This has been awesome. Yeah, man. Anytime. Appreciate you, buddy. The pleasure is mine. May the force be with you. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at getyourguide.com.
And we're joined now by the host of Pablo Torre Fuck Around and Finds Out. This was the original title of the show. That's its given name, its birth name. <laughs> but its ID just says PTFO on it. It's Pablo Torre. Pablo, we've started these conversations by asking everybody what was your inroads into Star Wars? Oh, a Boba Fett action figure that was, I think, one of the Kenner acquired by my parents, definitely at some weird yard sale, <laughs> came raw dog, like no box, just got this thing, missing some parts, a little worn. But I remember getting this as a kid and not knowing what it was initially because there was no accompanying package or like lore. Yeah. And it was pre-internet. And so I just remember thinking this thing is badass and loving it. And then, of course, piecing together who this was and why the rest of the universe, the, the ever-expanding universe, was something that I became obsessed with. That's awesome, man. That might be my favorite origin story, right? Because it's not the usual path wherever, like, oh, I saw Return of the Jedi and then or whatever. It's like, hey, here's this toy. And so you've got like a completely, it's almost like you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and from Twins. Like you grew up on an <laughs> island. Yes. Completely cut off from like popular culture and everything. My parents never explained what this was. I don't even know if they had seen Star Wars at that point or Empire Strikes Back more specifically. Yeah. And so for me, I came into this, I fell into loving Star Wars because this thing looked cool. Mm. And I assumed he was a robot, you know, like it's, you look at Boba Fett and you're like, oh, this is a robot. This is a cool robot. Yeah. And that's all I had to go on. Yeah. That was my gateway drug into truly buying so many action figures and watching everything and reading novels eventually about the Bounty Hunter Chronicles because I got indoctrinated accidentally. So Pablo, I'm trying to piece it together from a conversation we had earlier today. You have not seen Rebels or Clone Wars, right? So my view of the expanded universe is very incomplete. And so despite mm -hmm. my love for Freddie Prince Jr., your boy, Freddie Prince Jr., mm -hmm. I, I know. No, Clone Wars and Rebels are total blind spots for me. So I went into Ahsoka with literally the inability to pronounce the name intuitively. <laughs> Ahsoka. Ashoka. Yeah, the Ashoka series. That's right. Did you watch Ahsoka, though? I did. That is the question, because last time we had you on, you did not watch the finale of Mandalorian <laughs> Season 3. Oh, my God, yeah. So I want to make sure that you've actually watched the assignment. You're ready to talk about the show that is concluded. Despite my inability to say the name of the show... I did. I crammed for this. I was behind when Amin asked by like three episodes. I caught all the way up. And yes, I am now fully, well, semi-fluent in what the hell happened in this series. I'm really interested, Pablo, given that you are someone who does not have, you're very weird in that. Full stop. Yes. You read <laughs> Star Wars books, but you haven't watched any of the shows. And, and the sad part is I think everything that you've read is now deemed not canon. Right. So right. It's in many ways, a massive waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so this is a bummer, truly. But update me, though, on so all of the stuff that would have been helpful to me mm -hmm. to have seen before Ahsoka is canon. Yes. Rebels and Clone Wars are obviously now they've been canonized. Super canon. Yes. Like so when Disney bought Lucasfilm. Clone Wars was in the middle of being made. And so Disney said, 
okay, we like it. It's canon. Also, end it and start developing a new animated show that'll take place, you know, years later. And that's what Rebels became. Obviously, all the new movies, all the old movies, that's canon. And then as far as the comics, I think anything in the comics or the books that happened prior to that, they call it Legends <laughs> now. Real, like, football championship. Yes. What did they call, like, 1AA? They rebranded it. Oh, yeah, the FBS and FCS, yeah. Yeah, it's a football bowl subdivision or whatever it is. Or the ABA. It's the ABA of Star Wars. Yeah. Everybody's on cocaine. We don't really count those numbers. <laughs> but Filoni is the canonizer. Sometimes I'll be like, we really like this from that non-canon area, and we're going to make canon. And right. one of it is this character, Thrawn. Timothy Zahn wrote a trilogy of books in the early 90s, I want to say. Yes. That introduced this character of Grand Admiral Thrawn. And that was one of the most popular characters created not by George Lucas. And so they worked to find a way, I guess, to bring him, to canonize him. And they did that with Rebels. But given that you do have this blind spot, we kind of guess, oh, for the people who haven't watched it, do they even, are they even keeping up? Is it confusing? And so now we have a real life person like that to ask. Yes, I'm the control group. And I think my blind spot is squarely in the world of like the animated stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what we're talking about. Like those were yes. the animated things that got canonized. I apparently now only <laughs> suddenly realize my bias against animated and animation series. So for me, like, I didn't care as much as I imagine you guys cared about these characters who showed up mm -hmm. as if they were important. Right. I could glean that. I could infer that. But there were references immediately. Right. Immediately to like people who they didn't really do a great job of introducing mm. because they counted on that sort of previous investment of time. Right. By the way, so the full caveat here is if there's one name that I recall from our conversations, I mean, way back when, when you started all of this mm -hmm. with Freddie Prince Jr., was Dave Filoni. Right. So in no way am I claiming to have like a truer, more pure version of Star Wars. Like that's not what this is about. This is literally about my ignorance. But I didn't, I didn't know like Ezra and Kanan and right. Sabine Wren. And like, I knew of Thrawn through like, again, I think the books Yeah. in my, again, my weirdo version of this, I, I, I knew the name. But right. like, I, I just didn't care as much about these hmm. people. And that really hurt my enjoyment of the show, to be frank. How good of a job do you think they did in terms of character development for someone who had not watched any of those previous things? Like a B minus, hmm. you know? Yeah, it felt to me like they split the difference. They didn't want to skip everything and skip the backstory for the people who have watched Rebels but they also didn't go nearly enough in depth to people who haven't. And you kind of end up in this weird middle ground. B minus is pretty much perfect of we're going to give you a little bit. And like you said, you could feel that they were important and that they had history, right. but you don't know what that history is. And if you want to know, you can go watch 20 to 30 hours of animated content. Do you feel when you watch Sabine or maybe not Ezra, because he appears so late in the, in the show, but Sabine and Hera, for instance, versus Balin Skull, can you feel a difference in the character development? Or is it, I guess what I'm saying is, does Balin Skull come across as like, oh, is this another guy from one of these shows? Or is it clear to you that this is a new character? At a certain point, I assumed that everybody had backstory that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. 
which was, again, my prejudice, right? Like, I just assumed that if they were expecting this much about central characters, that I was not fully appreciating a character that, you know, and and something that's so tricky about Star Wars, right, is that, like, you're buying into the recurring motif of these archetypes. Mm -hmm. And so when I get an archetype that I can sort of fit in immediately, like, oh, that's that template. Ah, right, like evil old guy training a pupil, right? <laughs> but you sort of have sympathy for the pupil because the pupil has a conflict of conscience. Right. I'm like already sort of inferring a lot, and I'm not, I don't mind that. Yeah, Shin Hati's backstory is actually Paramore's full catalog. If you listen to that, you'll pick it up pretty quick. <laughs> I got that sense. I got that sense of like, yeah, I should have gone to some concerts that made me feel some feelings that I'm not going to feel otherwise. But yeah, man, that part I was a little disappointed by. Now, I, again, I don't want to be totally sour on all of it because there are some parts that I loved. So one question I have for you guys, I've been waiting to ask this question. I've not done any of the research into the subreddits or otherwise, like Star Whales. Mm -hmm. Did you know about that? Yeah. That part I was like happy to discover. Oh, nice. So that shot where they drop down into the atmosphere and that massive whale comes at the screen first time oh my god that's the first appearance of it for you i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> truly like i so something to know about me is that another weird thing i love is whale watching in real life like yes. i love <laughs> whale watching and this is just part of my lore my bachelor party we went whale watching this is a literal thing we went to the san juan islands off of washington state saw a humpback whale fully breach out of the water it was a religious experience for me loved it was i very high of course nonetheless amazing <laughs> amazing and so the idea that there were star whales that were, of course, like cool on that level alone. By the way, big year for whales. Avatar 2, whales everywhere. Right. Here, I assume there was a backstory on these whales. But then the whales can jump into hyperspace? Yeah. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> and the whale ate them and they too could. Loved it. Didn't need to know anything beyond what they presented. Great job of revealing that to a total noob. Loved the star whales. Baba, I, like, I think you're, this is going to be the most interesting conversation because I like the idea of seeing it through the eyes of someone who has no idea what's happening, right? Because they hint at it a lot. When Balin wistfully looks into the sky, there's the shadows of them. You can hear them. Pablo, in season three of The Mandalorian, when Grogu looks to his left. Out the window. When they're in hyperspace, oh. there's a silhouette of a pergil of a star whale next to them. And we're like, oh, see, they're coming. Mm. See, I, I, you saw that breadcrumb and saw plot point. And I was just like, huh. huh. <laughs> Shadows. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool shadow. Big gulps. <laughs> this little, this little baby Yoda, very perceptive. <laughs> He sees a cow by the highway as he's going on the interstate. He's amazed by it. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the centrality of the star whale, which I will keep calling the star whale because, again, I, I don't. Pergil, I know they mentioned it in the show. But they call it star whales, too. So it's, yeah, I feel like you're, you're safe there. Our very own Senator Shiono here saying, it sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a G-dog on a flight tip. So what, how much of the star whale stuff was already something that had happened in Clone Wars or Rebels or whatever else. It happened in Rebels, right? Ezra Bridger's character in Rebels, every, you know, Jedi or person with Force sensitivity, they usually have like little 
specializations in things. So for instance, apparently Ahsoka has this too, psychometry, right? Like they can touch something and can through the force hear where this thing has been. If you've played the video game Jedi Fallen Order, that character has that. And so I haven't, but I regret not playing it because it seems awesome. It is all awesome. like if you want to just literally live a Jedi life and all that stuff, it's it's fun, right? You're going around with a lightsaber and killing people. It's pretty good. Ezra's specialization is talking to animals. It's like a little Dr. Doolittle thing. So the way they defeat Thrawn at the end of Rebels, spoiler alert, is he communes with these star whales. They grip his Star Destroyer, and through that, they jump into hyperspace to where nobody knows. Oh, right. The whole right. premise of this show is finding Ezra, right? Because they went somewhere that's not on the map. How do we get them back? That makes sense now. Yeah. Some of that was sort of like, again, implied, if not said explicitly. That brings me to the other thing, which I didn't fully appreciate, which was Thrawn. Because I, again, I know the name, mm-hmm. but like the legend of him, because he didn't do a lot in this. Right? Am I wrong on that? No, yeah. In terms of just like stuff that he was... Give us your scouting report on on Thrawn's <laughs> tactics here. Yeah, right. So he shows up and I'm like, okay, people have been looking for him. He's been sort of like exiled to some nether region. And there have been these rumors that he is back. And I'm like, oh shit, all right. Let's figure out what this guy's like when he shows up. And he shows up and he's mostly just like yelling at what felt to me again, this is just my translation of it. Kind of like those like nuns from Dune. Yeah. <laughs> yep, the Benny Gesserit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar, eerily, almost like copyright infringing to me. I don't know, again, which came first. Dune came first. A lot of Star Wars was inspired by Dune. Like Totally. And I love, I love them both. The Spice Mines of Kessel is inspired by Dune, etc. Yeah, and certainly like whether it's the Star Whale or the Sarlacc, like the giant worms, right? Like there's mm-hmm. love riding a giant worm. <laughs> but so she said. The Thrawn yelling, <laughs> Thrawn like <laughs> sort of just commanding, telling these nuns to go do stuff or not do stuff. <laughs> he was mostly on the bridge of a ship and seemed like a bureaucrat mm-hmm. who didn't really reveal particular evil or a special thing about him Hmm. i didn't get like why is he a big deal what's the deal (laughs) what's all the fuss about here that did not come through to me what if i told you that he had vibrating anal beads that told him what (laughs) chess moves to make does that pique your interest a little bit more here i mean go on the magnus carlson of the star wars galaxy that's right yeah but truly though like give me the actual like scouting report because i feel like i saw big three catino mobley and i'm like oh cool (laughs) but i'm guessing you had some better highlights than this you know that's a hell of a metaphor there (laughs) (laughs) so thrawn is a military tactical genius basically he is a chess player he's completely devoid of the force like he's just a guy who's really smart and he defeats his enemies by studying like their culture and their their ways their art and he feels like he learns from that and then from there he's able to scheme against them it's the reason why when they discover that ahsoka's on the way he tells morgan to go get me the scouting report and then once he finds out that anakin skywalker was her master is like oh okay i I know this and so da 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 Mm -hmm. he starts to basically game plan what they try to do is Every decision he makes is almost forcing the hand of Ahsoka to do something. Now, 
<laughs> Mays and I are kind of lightly disagreed on this, where Mays feels like he's getting his ass kicked in every every conflict, and then saying, good, that's exactly how I planned it. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that's how it felt. That's how it felt to me. I was like, when is this guy going to, like, you know, do some stuff? I feel like he's going to step his game up with a real army. I feel like his current situation, they've been there for a decade. He's dealing with, you know, duct taped armor and depleted forces and ranks. Once he has the full power of whatever's left of the Imperial remnant, once he's got a bigger board to play with, I think we will start to see him making some real moves also because we know that eventually the First Order rises. So the Imperials are going to do very well in the next chapter of whatever is to come. I felt like he was playing hurt a little bit here. <laughs> and also we knew that he was going to escape. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of stakes. Right. But I think that you will see his might come up in the future. To put it in perspective, the only way they could beat him in Rebels was literally just to take him out off the board, send him somewhere else. In terms of every conflict they had, he pretty much wins every time particularly for an animated show, like that's a little weird for the bad guy to be so successful, but he's he's really, really smart, dude. And uh, I like that you picked up on like, is he necessarily evil? Because Thrawn as a character is written as, he's from a people called the Chiss. He joined the Imperial ranks to help his people basically find some sort of salvation. It's also should be noted that Palpatine is a proud and virulent racist. Speciesist. Species, excuse me, shout out to Ian Carmel. So the fact that he would allow an alien right. to not only be part of this, but to rise so high to the Grand Admiral, which I think is the highest military rank you can achieve. What's a moth? It's like a governor. Grand Moff Tarkin versus Grand Admiral Thrawn. Grand Admiral Thrawn is... Yeah, he's beneath Tarkin, right? Tarkin is the highest ranked, basically not Sith Lord. Thrawn is the highest ranked naval rank or whatever you want to call it. So it's testament to like how good he is. He's so good. It's like Adolf Rupp letting a black kid into Kentucky, basically. He's like, he's so good. Even Adolf Rupp couldn't say no to <laughs> Kareem or whatever. Just on that, right? Like the idea of how Star Wars will make into a, an impressive figure, one of the, whether they're admirals or bureaucrats, just one of the dudes who are standing on the bridge of a Star Destroyer. Right. Like we're sort of like reared to I don't know. I don't recall being impressed by Grand Moff Tarkin. Right. But it feels like Grand Admiral Thrawn. The legend of him is that he is actually special. Yes. I get that. But I didn't feel that in this series. The other thing that's interesting. Shout out to Freddie, who kind of brings a lot of this to me. But a lot of Star Wars is based on the World War Two. So Thrawn is in part like Rommel. Again, like this tactical genius. The Desert Fox. Yes, the Desert Fox. That's all I got. That's all I remember from <laughs> that's, that's like, AP US history. <laughs> I just whisper the Desert Fox whenever someone says that. It's a general rule. So my memory escapes me now, but I remember Freddie explaining that in World War II, basically Hitler had two different kind of factions underneath him. One was Rommel, who was convinced that, hey, we're going to win this war by winning it locally with boots on the ground here and boots on the ground there or whatever. And then the other faction was like, no, we need the bomb, right? This is Oppenheimer, right? We need this huge, massive weapon of mass destruction and that will 
bend the, the, the will of our enemies or whatever. And so Hitler invested in the A-bomb and they ended up losing the war as a result because, first of all, there was the brain drain of losing all the smart people because, hello, many of them were Jewish. And then the other part was just without giving enough resources to all these individual conflicts, they could not keep it up. In the same vein, Tarkin and Krennic are like, no, we need this huge, massive weapon that's going to make all these systems bow to us. Mm. And Thrawn was behind, no, no, we need to win these wars locally. And that's why in Rebels, there is a TIE Defender, right? Which was like this advanced-ass TIE Fighter that was quick and held a lot of munitions. And it was like, it was super hard to beat in dogfight combat. And so Thrawn was pushing that we should have more of these and that we'll win this war. But Krennic and Tarkin were like, no, 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 no. We're not going right, to invest in that. Right, Like tanks versus bombs. Yes. So there was one factory that was making these things. It was on Lothal. And Ezra and the rebels destroyed it. But if Thrawn had not been taken off the board, there's this concept that they wouldn't have lost the war because he wouldn't have lost these rebel alliance kind of like farmers and shit. He might have looked at the blueprints and said, you know, there is a shaft that goes straight <laughs> to the core of the yeah. Death Star here. Has anyone seen this? Have you guys looked at this at all? <laughs> here, what, tell me what you see. I don't know. I just, just blueprints. Like, no, t look at, no, you don't see anything, huh? See, this is why you got me here. Has anyone done a background <laughs> check on this Galen Urso guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this daughter. By the way, some of this stuff, I admit, maybe they explained it on the show and I zoned out. What was the deal with the uh, stormtrooper with the human face drawn on him? Oh, still don't know. We don't know. Really? That goes in the bucket of unanswered questions for season two and beyond. Wow. So wait, was he in Rebels and stuff? No. He's brand new. It's a new character. Now that's throwing me for a loop. <laughs> We're just doing this. If they don't explain this, I'm going to be furious. I'm already pretty mad about it, honestly. That's up there on the things you're most mad about. I think so. Gold face stormtrooper guy, what's his deal? Because didn't he have a face drawn on it? It's a face. Kind of like a scowl mask. Yeah. I'm Googling this. Hold on. Gold face stormtrooper. Laugh now, cry later, mask looking ass. Right. Captain Enoch is his name. <laughs> You know what it looks like going back to like my origin story of Star Wars as action figures? It felt like someone's Stormtrooper head fell off and they replaced it with something else. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. It's a misfit Toy Story toy deal. And I'm like, <laughs> you better be justified in some plot way. Because right now it's just distracting me. He's also got a special voice. Yes, he does. Mm. So there's something going on with him for sure. Mm. But do not know. He's got some voice modulation going on. Not the other stormtroopers don't get. Yeah. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. That's how they sound. And he's got this weird guttural. Yeah. Very cool voice. He's frowning. There's also points when he's what I assume is just standing there looking at people. But because of the look on his face, <laughs> it looks like he's very disappointed. <laughs> All right. So give me the other things that got you hot. Oh, so what did I enjoy in ways that are just like base instinct shit mm -hmm. i'm in on watching anakin come back and like do lightsaber shit right yeah like that i get i didn't need to know the full backstory on of course like the tutelage and the pupil relationship right. because i can infer that from all the templates i know from star wars right that's why it's funny about thrawn as you're describing it i'm just like oh great thrawn's strategic genius is these pupil master thing they're they're into it yeah it's like yeah dude 
Like, yeah, they are into it. <laughs> Guess what? One betrays the other. Like, yeah. <laughs> but but even still, I was like, yeah, I can sink my teeth into this. I'm not above this. I thought that the action of just like, yeah, the action sequences, I, I enjoyed them. It wasn't like John Wick, you know, it wasn't like the raid suddenly. They didn't like evolve it in a way that was different. What do you think? I found an answer to why the lightsaber battles look different now than they did in Phantom Menace and, you know, the prequels, whatever. Right. Apparently, one of the things Disney insisted on was lightsaber battles used to be shot with a green screen, basically stick. Right. And then they would go back and post and make it glow and do all the other shit. And Disney was like, no, you know, the CGI doesn't look good. We want practical effects. So they, that's where you get these very expensive lightsabers that, that light up and look very realistic. But the problem is because of the LED tube, the center of gravity on it is now further out. Mm. So what used to be most of the weight was in the hilt and you could just do this and execute very fluidly moves. Now it's like I, it's a little heavier because it's leaning out in front of you. Oh. I was like, oh, shit. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, something was different about the physics of it. And I could not have possibly guessed your answer or your explanation, but that does now track with how it felt somewhat different and intriguing. Given that you, you never watched Clone Wars, how did you feel about Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> I mean, it felt like Hayden Christensen, you know? Really? So you were like, this feels just like Anakin from the prequels? Insofar as he was kind of like... I don't know. I don't want to be mean to Hayden Christensen. But oh, please. It's sort of like he has a tiger beat kind of aesthetic, right? <laughs> mm. Like some Jonathan Taylor Thomas yeah. sort of hair, like a little home improvement. Like, I get it. Yep. That's what you wanted to establish. Sure. But in terms of like bringing the emotional gravitas, there's a reason I'm like talking about the action sequences. Like I didn't give a fuck about their emotional connection. Truly. Wow. That didn't rate for me. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is kind of like watching... Anakin Skywalker roll around in a field with Natalie Portman. Oh, you've gone too far. Didn't, didn't, didn't do it for me. I don't like sand. It's coarse. <laughs> yes. Rough. That. Not like you. <laughs> You're smooth. Oh my God. I forgot about that specific line. He was way better than that. Come on, Pablo. Dude, yeah, man. Like, Come on. Was he, guys? Was he really? He really was, man. That performance in Attack of the Clones is one of the worst things <laughs> that has ever been put on film in a major blockbuster motion picture. He was definitely better than that. Okay, I should be fair. He was better than that, but it reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah. That's the de-aging for you. You know, <laughs> takes you right back. So truly, right? Like on the scale of Ahsoka to the Irishman, mm. not as conspicuous yes. as watching like 80-year-old Robert De Niro <laughs> de-age, like kick someone as if he's 100 years old. Mm -hmm. Anyway, for green screened combat and green screened action, I wasn't taken out of it. Right. I felt like a little kid who had a Boba Fett action figure. I'm like, cool. You know, and that's on some level, I'm looking for that response. And this series did give me that on the level of like, oh, yeah, this is candy that I'm eating. All right. So I think at this point, Pablo, we're going to ask you to do two things. One is give us a grade mm. for Ahsoka as a series. And then we've got seven seasons of live action Star Wars TV that I believe you've watched all of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give us a score and then give us a rank where... 
this thing falls for you. Okay, so I'm going flat B, you know? Flat B. What's that in one of ten? Is that like an eight? Mm, Lower? In my household, that's like a three. Just going back to <laughs> bringing my parents back a B. <laughs> you ain't first, you're last. That's right. That's right. It's more like a, like a 7.5 is what I'm saying. 7.5. Okay. Yeah. 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 And now you're ranking. I mean, worst. It hurts me to say this, given my origin story. But Book of Boba Fett was dog shit, man. I wanted to like it so much for the reasons you now fully understand. And it was so disjointed. I didn't care about Boba Fett. I was like, you know, he's trying to be like a fucking mayor. What is this? Like, come on. Oh, man. It was disappointing on the level of I never felt like I was eating the candy, despite like, right. again, attempts variously throughout. So that was rough. So I, <laughs> Obi-Wan, I think I'm going right in that second worst slot. Mm. totally forgettable i want to offer a more meaningful critique but i don't even remember my most memorable part of obi-wan is someone went back and like stitched it all together into one giant movie and allegedly that played better but i couldn't make it through that either <laughs> so i'm like even if it was meant as a movie didn't really track for me you know what really sticks with me from that for whatever reason pablo is when he's making like sushi grade whale tuna meat oh yeah 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 that is burrowed deep in my brain also there's uh, an inquisitress named reva <laughs> wonder if she'll ever show up again <laughs> what a time oh god i do remember the sashimi yeah the expanded universe sashimi i wanted him to go back to work you know right cut some more sashimi right yeah. wanted more of that got caught up doing other stuff I think I'm going season three of The Mandalorian here. Mm -hmm. It just felt like we're now at the phase of, you guys want this, huh? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> we do. I watched all of it. You win. Then I'll go Ahsoka. Then I'll go season two of The Mandalorian. Then I'll go season one of The Mandalorian, which I thought was legitimately excellent. And then I'm going, you know how much I love Andor. Much as I killed Boba Fett for being a mayor. All I want is mayors, I guess. <laughs> All I want is just like local politics. Star Wars politics, man. I can't get enough of it. I'm a huge hypocrite. <laughs> Loved it. Can you explain to me Mando 1 over Mando 2? Yeah, Mando 1 just felt... Was it the newness? Yes. The shininess? It felt eye-opening to me. And it's hard to divorce. I would need to truly go back. And that's the one where I could see us flip-flopping. But truly, it gets credit because here they were giving me something that... Again, I grew up wanting, which is more Mandalorian content, more bounty hunter stuff. Right. Baby Yoda, give me the timeline of when Baby Yoda showed up. How deep into The Mandalorian did that happen? Episode one, I want to say. End of the first episode, yeah, yeah, is the reveal. He doesn't know what his job is. That's right. And he gets into the office and then he does an unboxing and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was not expecting that, and neither were we. And then off to the races. Right, 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 right. So I think that's where I give credit for the newness, too. By season two, I think I'm thinking again in the realm of, like, I know what levers you guys are pulling. But truly, I can be convinced. Pressure test this, right? Mm -hmm. Do you guys think Mando 2 is way better than Mando 1? I won't say it's way better. I liked it better because it had a more linear story, whereas Mando season 1 felt very Xeno, Warrior Princess. What adventure are we going on this week? Yeah. Felt a little Star Trek-y. Yep. And then to the end, that story culminates in 
an insane reveal. Oh, true. That, by the way, the actors did not know. Everyone on set was told that the Jedi who shows up is Plo Koon. <laughs> and everyone believed it. Like, wait, Plo Koon's dead. Like, no, but Plo Koon is Dave Filoni's favorite Jedi. So no one, like, second guessed yep. why Plo Koon would be the guy to save the day. Man, that's a great point. I would say that the most memorable, I mean, yeah, the most memorable scene in, in Mandalorian is that last one. Yeah. I can be convinced. You might have convinced me. You may have convinced me to put two as my number two overall. Your rankings are probably the closest to mine of any of the people we've had do this. Yeah. And I think the sticking point is, and this messes everything up. What do we do with the Luke training episode and the other episode in the middle of Boba Fett? Does that go to Mando 2? Right. Does that become its own little mini series? Yeah. It definitely doesn't belong to Boba Fett. Yeah. And that's why I, I ranked it so low. Yeah. It's sort of like you're not even proud of what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're just going to take a halftime, an extended break with something way better. Totally. And then come back. Oh, and the Power Rangers are back. Imagine it would be like watching the worst Super Bowl ever and then like having a great halftime show, right? And then Prince comes out yeah. with Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> blown away it's not even that though it's like taking out the third quarter of the game and being like you guys want more of that because we'll give it to you like yeah i guess we do actually oh man well Pablo, that's that's all the stuff i got for you man i appreciate you joining us man as always i cannot stop finding out stuff and this all i'm gonna do what i have long not done which is finally complete my freddie prince oeuvre and I'm going to I'm going to go appreciate this stuff. You guys have persuaded me on that, too. You know, you asked me earlier, what do I need to watch? I think you can get away with watching Rebels and kind of infer a lot of stuff about Clone Wars. But to get it right, like, for instance, the statue that Balin Skull stands on is that's a statue of characters from Clone Wars, which is deep into like almost like the religious nature of the Jedi and the Force and all that stuff is this trio of beings the father the brother and the sister the brother represents the dark side the sister represents the light side the father represents the balance in between the two there's a lot of stuff from clone wars like that and it fleshes out and gives better context and nuance to what happens in the prequel movies because now like oh now i get it mm. i got a question for you pablo when you watch something like that how are you not compelled to find out <laughs> So you mentioned it, you mentioned it, but you, you never said why. You said you've got a bias against animation. No, but not even going to watch the animation. Wikipedia, oh. articles. How are you able to let these unanswered questions fester? Guys, I think you're underestimating the degree to which I just used you <laughs> to answer all of my questions. Wow. Didn't know we were potting with Thrawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like, according to plan. Just like his master would have done. That's right. <laughs> Allow me to go jump into a star whale and get the fuck out of here.
I love sports. I love beer. I love watching sports and drinking beer at the same time. So when I turn on a hockey game and need something to quench my thirst, I reach for the beer that only has 96 calories. Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste that you want, and less of the stuff that you don't. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces.